This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks and welcome to the latest episode of How You Going Mate, uh, Adam's my name and welcome to the first episode this year where we have actually got a guest uh, because our New Year's episode was Barbie and I talking about uh, New Year's, uh, we did a best of special as well, Valentine's Day I've done an episode myself so we have an actual real life human guest this time and before we get into who the guest is um, folks, we would desperately love for you to jump onto our Facebook pages and our Instagram page, uh, just to give us a bit of a shout out and let us know what you think about the episode. So as you sit and listen and you feel like you want to contribute or let us know what you think of this episode, then by all means, you jump on and do that. Um, now, I guess this week is a person I've known for, as we established in the, in the recording, five and a half years. Uh, we've worked together, she's worked in a number of roles and... Uh, Currently, she works in a, a mental health program, uh, manages one of uh, our programs uh, in my workplace. Uh, of course, her name is Debbie, and uh, she has a, a lived experience of of uh, mental health uh, conditions. Uh, she talks about that in the uh, in the in the recording in the in the episode, and um, and and talks about a few years ago about her recovery and. And um, I've been wanting to talk to Deb for a while now and just never really been able to get ourselves together. But we've always had these really interesting conversations about mental health. And one of the things I don't think she says, we might touch on it in the recording, but I don't think she says it, but one of the things that she mentions in the recording is that this is the first place that she's worked in where her mental health has been um, accepted. Her mental health has been, she hasn't, hasn't been used against her. And I've certainly spoken to people in the past, and I think a lot of us have that experience. And one of the fears that we have around talking about our mental health is the idea that uh, our mental health either gets used against us, as I said, uh, in a in a in a in, with a malicious intent, or people judge us and think differently, or think we can't handle certain pressures because of our mental health and our mental health issues. And um, and I think with Deb, it's the 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 first one rather than the second one, uh, the former rather than the latter. I think that's how it goes. But certainly, one of the, her experiences is in our workplace has been one of the one of the few places that she's worked at where she's able to quite openly talk about her mental health, and uh, and I guess that's kind of one of the things that's at the core of what we do as a as a uh, podcast and as an initiative is you know we're about having conversations about mental health and not being judged about your mental health and not being in any way shape or form uh, treated differently necessarily uh, but really just to have someone sit and listen and talk about them you know to 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 li- well number one to to listen to people talk about their mental health but number number two so that the people that listen to our podcast can listen to these stories and hear something that they can relate to and feel as though they're not alone and feel comfortable then to go out and connect with other people about their mental health. And that's really, I guess, the, the, the message that's at the core of this um, this episode. Uh, some really interesting, interesting stuff as well. Deb does some, I want to give a shout out to her business that she runs, Inside Out Recovery. Uh, she does a lot of work with people who have hoarding and squalor issues uh, hoarding and squalor is a significant issue in the community. The estimates are around about a million people uh, experiencing hoarding. Um, so when you think about that, that's like, you know, about 5% of the population, which is pretty huge, about 4% of the population. So she does some really fantastic work there. But 
more importantly, I guess what we want to recognise is that there is um, there's she has a lot of expertise. She has a a, a really incredible um, lived experience story. She gives some really fantastic insight into uh, and 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 she is an older woman. Um, you know, she's uh, in in her early sixties, so she gives some really incredible insight into what it is to grow up and and. And as she says in the episode, to make it through most of her life with this pretty significant mental health issue and condition and, and really living her lo- most of her life with that issue un- untreated. Um, so please, again, jump on the Facebook page. Tell us what you think. Tell us how you uh, how, what your response is to this. And of course, most importantly... Uh, don't forget to ask someone how you're going this week uh, or in whenever you listen to this episode. Um, don't forget to check in with somebody. Uh, help us reduce it. Help us break down some of that stigma and help us reduce some, some isolation for some people. But in the meantime, let's ask Debbie the question. Oh, Debbie, how are you going, mate? Uh, pretty good today. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. So that's important. Yeah. What made today a good day? Um, I don't know. Just... Um, busy, full on, had the ability to get out of the office for a couple of hours. Oh, shopping and or what did no, you do? No, no, oh. had to go to a meeting. Okay. Mm. They're fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. So it hasn't been a bad day today. That's ah, good. All right. Mm. So people that listen to this say they understand a bit of, bit of context, I think. Um, we've worked together now for... Six or seven oh, years? Been, no, I've been here about five and a half. About okay. five and a half years. Five and a half mm. years, okay. And so people kind of understand as they listen to this, we've talked about this off air, but mm. the reason that you're on the episode is a couple of things because, you know, you work in the mental health sector, mm-hmm. um, training and education. Yep. Um, you also have a lived experience of mental health mm-hmm. and mental health conditions mm-hmm. and also... Um, you run a fantastic program with hoarding and, around hoarding and squalor, which we're going to talk a bit about as well through this episode. So there's lots to pull apart with you, um, but I'm open with the opening question. So you've already had the first one. How are you going, mate? That's easy. All right, done. Yeah. Sec- oh, jeez, I passed that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hang on. That's it. Hang Where's on. my pen? Tick. Okay. Yeah, tick. <laughs> um, hang on. Can you hear the clicky noise? Um, so the second question then is... Um, what does what does mental health mean to you? Well, I guess you like if we think about mental health. I mean, people often think about mental health as a diagnosis, and that's true. I mean, mental health is a diagnosis. It's yeah. it's you know being diagnosed with depression or yeah. anxiety or bipolar, bipolar or, yeah. all of those kind of things. But for me, mental health goes way beyond that. It's about you know having a diagnosis, but then doing your recovery journey which i think is a really overused word but yeah. i don't have a better one at the moment i always think of fat people on a weight loss show when they hear that you know <laughs> it's just it's my journey <laughs> well you know and doing and doing the therapy yeah you know doing that work and um and then learning to live well with your mental health challenges yeah. so i've got a lived experience of complex trauma um and i've had to learn how to manage the triggers and how to manage that and live well with that. And so, um, you know, being in the, in the older generation, it took me a little while to kind of figure that out. So, <laughs> so, so now, yes, I'm, I live well with my mental health. So I think, you know, when we think about mental health, we can look at it in, in two ways, mental health, a mental health diagnosis mm. or a mental health um, recovery and the mental health diagnosis would deem that um, you're free of symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, you're all better. Yeah. Whereas mental health recovery looks at it as a journey that, you know, we, we are always living with whatever our mental health challenges are, mm. but we learn to manage it, we learn to live with it, and we, do, we, we, can, we can cope, we do life good. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm toying with putting a, um, a me- like a, a, a picture on the Facebook pages and I haven't quite figured out the wording of it yet because it's, it's like we've had a number of discussions about this and you know 
I come from a perspective of I don't feel like I have a mental health diagnosis anymore. I mean, I don't have a mental health condition. Um, and the, the the picture or the meme that I'm thinking of is something along the lines of, you know, I no longer have a mental health condition, but I understand that I'm prone to it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't quite worked out the wording and how to, yeah. to, to structure it yet. But yeah. I like to think of it as, so I know that I've, I know I was diagnosed with depression once. Um, I know I probably live with a certain level of anxiety, not diagnosed, but certainly a level of anxiety. Yeah. So I, I understand, and I and I and I say I, I no longer have a mental health condition because I no longer meet the diagnostic criteria. Mm. Yes. But um, I know that it could happen again. Yes. If it, yes. If, if I don't yes. manage those things, manage those things. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, complex trauma is, you know, I have a real passion for, it's going to sound crazy, I have a real passion for trauma. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not in the you sense like, that you I like want. to cause it? <laughs> <laughs> I probably do on occasion. Um, but not, not that I want everyone to have trauma, but like it, it just, you know, trauma is one of those things that... Um, it's fascinating. It's fascinating how the brain works. It's fascinating on how people uh, view it. Mm. And, and often people get really afraid of it. Mm. But when you learn to actually live with it, it can be something that's um, it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. It's wonderful. You get to unpack it. And so tell me what it. trauma is then. Well, trauma can be... Um, it can be a, a, an event or it mm. can be a diagnosis. Okay. So you can have a trauma event happen mm-hmm. but not necessarily develop a trauma response to it. Okay. Um, so, um, or you can have a traumatic event happen and develop a trauma response to it. And so when we think about trauma, we can kind of start uh, break it up into kind of the easiest way is to break it up into two kind of um, levels. So one is your PST, P- PTSD diagnosis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is like a one-off event, mm-hmm. um, a trauma event. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, you know, people recover really well from that. Mm-hmm. Um, they seek counselling, seek some help and mm-hmm. recover. But complex trauma or complex PTSD is... Um, Usually, um, it happens in childhood, um, and and it's a series of traumatic events. Mm. So it's ongoing events that happen to a person um, that impacts the way they look at their world, mm-hmm. their feelings of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, it impacts relationships, ability to hold down work. Mm. Uh, so it, it it has an enormous um, consequences for people in their everyday life. So we're talking about then the impact it'll have on things like self-worth and self-value yeah. and how you actually value yourself within the world and, and whether Absolutely. or not that actually is, you know, you, whether or not you see yourself as being of any value at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. I I spent I've spent most of my life until I I did my recovery journey or my my therapy I went to therapy probably I don't know five or six years ago now okay um and so probably for the last three years three and a half years I've been I've been um you know managing my 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 trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spent a long time, and because I'm I'm short in stature as well, um, you know, <laughs> four foot nine and a three quarters because that's really important. You're really four foot nine <laughs> and three quarters. You're little, I but can't, I, can't <laughs> even, little. I can't even say that I'm 150 centimetres because it's not. <laughs> my my seven-year-old is nearly taller than you. She's like 136. Oh, look, all of my grandkids are taller than I am. Um but I spent the majority of my life feeling like a little girl trying to make it, try it, fake it till I made it yeah. in this big, big world. Yeah. And I never, I never was able to kind of see myself as this adult woman. So you were well into your 50s still feeling that way. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And not feeling safe, waiting for the next person to inflict 
whatever, abuse, negative comments, insults, um, whatever, whatever it would be, and just and waiting. So being hyper vigilant and living, living just you know, in the sense of waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Mm. And I remember, I remember, you know, my prayer every day was, Lord, grow me up. Grow the child up in me to meet the animal. Oh, not actually physically make no. me more than 150 centimeters. Well, I, I pray for that, but it Could hasn't happened. At least five foot. Come on, <laughs> five one, five two. Look, I pray for I pray for you know, uh, Elle McPherson, but height, but it hasn't no, I, happened. I pray for Elle, and she hasn't <laughs> appeared for me either. I, I think we probably want different things in that. <laughs> so you know, and I now feel like I'm. I'm this adult woman now. I I feel like wow. you know I I can say yes I am an adult, mm. um, and I don't need to be scared like a a little girl anymore. Mm-hmm. So and that's that's huge. It's massive. Yeah, yeah. huge. Yeah. So for you, it had such a profound effect. It I mean, it stunted your psychological development. Yeah, it stopped you yeah. in your tracks. And it does. It does. But if if you are you know, I'm an um, adult survivor of family and domestic violence. Mm. And so, you know, as a child with trying to navigate that mm. and and not feeling safe in your internal space, in your family mm. home, mm. and not knowing whether you were going to have, you know, the, the protection that your parents, mm. you know, should have yeah, yeah. provided, yeah. it does, it it. it it makes you feel like you are in continually um, in an unsafe place, and you're just waiting for the next, the next thing, the next person, the next, the next whatever. Thing. Yeah, mm. and it's it's sort of it sounds as though, and tell me if you think I'm on the mark here, but as you say, hyper vigilant. You are literally spending your entire life. It's yeah. not. It's not the. Um, what does it say? It's not. It's not the death that worries you. It's the anticipation of death. Yeah, yeah. It's not the thing that hits you. It's, it's the fact it's, that you're yeah. constantly waiting yeah. for that thing to hit yeah. you. And you can't, you can't survive in that state forever and a day. You tried. You, well, I tried. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and my counsellor called it my default settings. And I really loved that. Yeah. So because I was told my whole life that I was stupid, I would never amount to anything, I was ugly, I wasn't worth it. I was the problem for all of the problems that happened. In, you were, in, you in, were the cause. I was the cause. Um, you know, so it affects you. And so you grow up believing that you are the problem, that you mm. are, that if anything goes wrong, that you are you're you're the cause of it, and so um, I constantly found myself saying sorry. I'd bump someone in the street. I'm sorry, you mm, know. Mm. I'd, uh, you know, if I thought I said the wrong, I'm sorry, you know. So because it was a way of protecting me in case, mm. you know, something happened from that. Almost like a preemptive strike, sort yeah. of like you know, if yeah. you're super apologetic, they can't get angry at yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes, it's been a long, long journey. And I guess, too, the other thing for me was I couldn't work out why people didn't see the world in the same way that I saw it because it changes the brain. You know, the brain is such a a, a wonderful thing, but it changes the way the brain operates. It changes the way... um, you know, you see, you see, and you interpret things, yeah. and so I couldn't work out why people didn't see things the same way as I saw them. Give me an them. example. What, what does that look like? Oh, look! I remember being in a meeting one day, and we were, and and so, and this is this is, um, you know, my understanding. And I was in a meeting one day, and there was a group of us, and. Um, and so prior to the meeting, I said, yes, well, we go, there's, there's some stuff that we have to talk about. Mm. So stuff, meaning plural, multiple. Mm. That's what I went into. And so we were talking about something and we spent about, I don't know, half an hour on this one thing. And um, I, someone said, oh, so where are you up to? And I just said, oh, not very far thinking multiple things but apparently it was that one thing and someone attacked me and 
verbally attacked me and said, oh, I'm so sick and tired of your negativity. I'm, you know, I've had it with you. Mm. And I wasn't trying to be negative. Mm. I just thought, well, we, we haven't got onto multiples. <laughs> We've just, just done the one thing. Just on the one thing. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, those kind of things. So I instantly went back into my little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I spent a long time, you know, so when those kind of things happen, it takes me a long time to recover. Did you need to, so sort of, a, I guess some of the other people I've spoken to, and, and it's, maybe it's a male versus female thing, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> you know, speaking to, for example, Nath talked about sometimes reacting violently to protect that little boy that he was protecting, yeah. you know, was that for you or was it more just a retreat? Was it a fight or was it a flight? Maybe is the end. It depended on like a, you know, you know, I think of my early parenting. I didn't have a role model, so I didn't know what, what I was supposed to do. I yeah, didn't yeah. have any wonder, yep. you know, and so I know that in my early parenting, yes, I could be very, very violent towards my children mm. and that is something that I have to live with you know, Ooh, forever. Yeah. And, you know, they've, they've grown up and they're wonderful and, and I love them to bits. But, yes, I wasn't the best mum. Mm. But in most times, in most times, I would run. Yeah. I would run because that was that was my, my default setting, my safe and what, setting. what was the – so, you know, three, four years ago, you decide got to deal with this. Hmm. What was, how did that come about? What was the, was there a single moment where you just went, enough's enough? Um, I think it was a build up of a whole lot of things, but I had done, I completed a counselling degree in 2010 hmm. and I remember four years of being at college, I was continually being triggered, hmm. didn't, but didn't realise it. Here I am doing this counselling degree hmm. Hmm. and... And I didn't realise that that's what I was. I was the nightmare of a student because I was continually being triggered. And I, that still, it, it still didn't dawn on me that there was something wrong. Mm. And then I, um, I, I was in a, 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 a position, you know, in a, in a, a management position mm. where, um, well, uh, someone in that role accused me of a whole bunch of stuff and um, uh, may, caused me to, to resign, told yeah. me that I either resigned or I would be fired. And I didn't have the ability to stick up for myself. I didn't have... Um, the ability to fight back and say, no, I didn't back. do those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I did... And then I, of course, I, I got another a job because I've, that's, you know, who I am. But I had this awareness that things were starting to fall apart. And I had a friend who is a counsellor and she um, found me a, a counsellor. It was a friend of hers. And um, I remember going to her for about six months and my friend would ask me all the time, so how's it going? And I go, oh, I don't know. I don't. Know. I think I'm just there to keep her in a, in a job. I don't know. <laughs> and she said, trust the process. Trust the process. And I said to her, I said, every time you said that, I wanted to smack you in the ma- in the mouth. <laughs> um, and then um, I was at this friend's house one day, and she said, how's it going? And I said, I don't know. I said, all of the the suicide ideation stuffs coming back, all the the thoughts. And she said, have you told the counsellor? And I said, well, I've mentioned it. I said, but she didn't kind of do very much about it. And she said, well, you need to text her right now and tell her. And so I did. It was a Saturday afternoon and I texted her and I told her how I was feeling. And instead of calling me and doing the right thing mm-hmm. uh, and checking on me, mm-hmm. you know, doing all that suicide mm-hmm. awareness yeah. stuff, she just texted me back and said, I think it's better you find a counsellor that's closer to where you live. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was devastated. I was devastated for my friend mm. and I just thought to myself, see, it, it, 
It I proved work. it. It's the process. <laughs> the process was not working. And she said, oh, I'll find you someone else. And she did. And it was just the most amazing three and a half years mm. I spent with this person that uh, specialised in trauma and was just, you know, the most amazing counsellor. And, the, you know, on our last visit, she said to me, so what would you like to do? And I said, I think I'd like to do life without you for a bit. Mm. Um, and she said, oh, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> so, and that's, well, that's kind of... That's a bit hurtful, but okay. <laughs> um, but it was just the most amazing um, therapeutic experience. And I think what it showed me was that, you know, therapy doesn't have to be, you know, hard. It doesn't have to no. be. I mean, I was emotionally exhausted after every session mm. and my husband said well how'd it go and I said oh yeah it was all right but I didn't want to talk anymore about it yeah, yeah, yeah. and um but if you get the right therapist mm-hmm. if you get the right person yeah. it can be the most wonderful exploration of who you are and mm. you know I didn't know who I was mm. you know and I remember saying to her I don't have any hope that things are going to be different mm. And she said, I know, so I'm going to hang on to that hope for you until such time as you can take it back. And I think what a beautiful gift to give, you know. Mm. And so, uh, you know, she and she did that until such time. And so me saying I want to do life without you, that was me saying, yeah, I've got hope now. I think yeah. I can do this. That that um that idea of hope is so important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. it's such a – and it's a lot of – it sounds like a bit of a – like a wishy-washy concept, you know, I live with hope. It's mm. like, what's that? But when you lose it, you kind yeah. of go, oh, okay, yeah. I really understand what it looks like now. Yeah. And you can you know, you can call it meaning or purpose or, you know, even just... It's, it's all of that stuff. Yeah. It's all of that stuff. If we don't have hope, if we don't have hope that things is going to get better, if we don't have hope that this this too shall pass, if we don't, mm. if we don't have that then we don't have the motivation to keep going. Mm. Mm. And that then, you know, can look very, very different. Yeah. And the other the other thing that I was thinking as you were talking, I mean, I was actually talking to someone fairly recently who was talking about their experiences with a counsellor and, and they're actually going through this at the moment. And they said, oh, I'm, I'm not sure that they're doing a lot. And I said, well, you need to find someone else. Yeah. Um, it's And, and the, an example I gave to them was, you know, it's like me going, oh, tried eating a salad and I didn't lose any weight. <laughs> maybe I need, So maybe, so yeah. maybe I'm not going to do that or, again. Or I went for a run <laughs> and I didn't come back skiddy. So like, what do I do now? And yeah, I'm like, that's right. Because we want the quick fix because we are yeah. hurting so much yeah, that we want yeah. the quick fix and there isn't any. And that's the, that's the, the idea, isn't it? Like mm. it, it can be that you go to a counsellor for half a dozen times mm. and you start to understand it and you start to move forward. Or it could be three years. Mm. It could be five years. It could be ten years. Yeah. Well, they say for, you know, a one-off PTSD trauma event, mm. you know, two years minimum, mm. Mm. complex trauma can be anywhere from three to five years of therapy. Yeah. yeah. So I did mine in about three and a half years. So I... And, you know, I, she would ask me something and I would respond in a counsellor's way because I had my degree. And she goes, you've got that counselling hat on again. <laughs> was, it like, was it almost like you were trying to, like, you know, preempt what she was saying? Or, oh, I'm clever. I know yeah, what you're trying to do I here. I think so. I think so. But I think it was more like, oh, I shouldn't be like this. I've got a counselling degree. I should be. I should be doing better. I should actually be able to do this to myself. Yeah. I should have insight yep. into it. I should, yep. shouldn't need you yep. to do it. I mean, if I can't fix myself, how can I fix other yep. people? Yeah. And it was really, it was, it was, it was hard. It took me a little while to kind of put that to one side mm. and to allow her to do what she needed to do with me. I, I almost think you can't fix yourself on some level. Like no. I think, I mean, you, there's lots you can do. But there are certain parts of you you need someone else to look uh, at and absolutely. go, this is what you do, buddy. Absolutely. This is what you are. And you go, mm, yeah. actually, you know what? You're right. You need, you need, sometimes you need that, that 
external person, mm. not someone that you are emotionally connected with. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't talk to my husband about this stuff mm. because, you know, I didn't want to burden him mm. and he didn't have the ability to respond to me in a way that that, that made a difference. Yeah. And so... Um, and so the the I guess the the purpose of the therapist is that they're there is that that you know that outside person that can say, "Have you thought of what did you do? How did that feel?" Mm. And so you can explore everything um, in in relation to that in a safe, non-judgmental, very healing space. Mm. And that was the other thing that she gave me. She knew me better than what any of my family and that knew me, you know. And it was such a a wonderful time. And she would say to me, she would give me a compliment. And you know how I am with compliments. Mm. And, um, and, uh, you know, I'd brush it off or whatever. And she Mm. said, you're batting that back. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, I know. And she goes, well, I'm giving it back to you, you know. So it was, it wasn't all, it wasn't all, you know, emotional. There was times where the the humour come in, and yeah. and we were able to laugh about stuff, you know. So it was a great journey. But you've got to find the right one that fits for you. I hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough to people. And I and I often sort of joke that you know I was lucky. The, the first counsellor I tried, I really liked, mm. and it worked for me, and he yeah. was good, and I connected with him, and it really worked for me. So I, I was pretty fortunate in that regard. Um, but as I say, I mean, look, I probably ended up, I did about three months with with the counsellor, but the process of actually getting through that and feeling mm. better about who I was, yeah, was probably three years, yeah, um, yeah. just in terms of the work I then had to do on myself. Yeah. And it's an ongoing process, as it is for you, I'm sure. Absolutely. You have to maintain that. Yeah, absolutely. And some days are better than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's about, you know, we talked about the the window of tolerance the other day and it's about, you know, trying to widen my window of tolerance so Mm. that when – when things do get on top of me, when I don't feel like I'm I'm coping at my best, that, um, you know, I can think about what can I do here? Hmm. You know, what skills, what strategies do I need to bring into this? Well, that's that's probably leads me into my next mm-hmm. question, which is what did you learn then that you, that you do now? What, what do you, on a day-in, day-out basis, mm. what do you do to manage that? Um, well, I want to say up front that I don't always get it right. Well, nobody does. <laughs> so I know, for example, I know, for example, you don't like having your photo taken. I hate it. Mm. I hate it. And we have to get them taken for work from mm. time to time. And you have to appear on video from oh, time to time. Oh, and I have. And I'm so glad this is not video. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd come on if it was no, video. I no, think I'd get you. No, that's right. And I do. And, and I mean, that's it's a trigger for me because I was told my whole life how ugly I was and, mm. and stuff. And so, you know, have your photo taken or appear on, on video, it kind of, you know, brings that yeah. all home. So it is a trigger for me. Mm. But I think, um, you know, one of the things is about knowing what your triggers are. Yep. That would be the first thing is to yeah. understand what it is that has that potential to take you out, yeah. that has the potential for the amygdala to, to you know, come take in, over and take just, over yeah. and cause chaos, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think, is, is about um, finding what, what strategies work for you. And yeah. when I mean that, I think, you know, things around own self-care, you know, what do you, what do you like to do? Yeah. I love to go to the movies. I love to mm-hmm. be taken away from my every day for a couple of hours mm-hmm. and just, you know, be involved in, in whatever I'm, I'm viewing. And I love being near the water. <clears throat> so anything where I'm in the water, even around nature, but particularly near the water, it's an instant calming effect. So far you're an older, shorter version of me. <laughs> oh, no, same. I, I wouldn't say I love the movies, but certainly um, if there's something I want to go and watch, being in that mm. cinema is part of what I do mm. to treat myself. Mm. 
and yeah, the ocean for me, mm. the, the blue of the ocean just calms me yeah. right down. I yeah. just love it. Yeah. It's just something about it, I think. I just, you know, if I can hear it, if I can see it, there's this mm. like, oh, you know. We went, we went on a cruise a few years ago and I said to my, my older daughter, I said, you know what I'm most looking forward to? She said, no, what? I said, the very first morning when you wake up and you walk out on deck and all you can see She's is blue. The water. Yeah. That's all there is. Yeah. Light blue and dark blue, that's yeah. all there is. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, you, all you can see for miles. Yeah. And it, I love cruising for, yeah. for that reason. So in terms of, um, so, all right, let's. But the other thing I want to say as yeah. well in that is yeah. to teach yourself or get someone to teach you some grounding exercises. Yeah, yeah. So when you can feel the anxiety levels rising, yep. or you can feel like you're being taken out of your window of tolerance, that you have some skills and knowledge to bring yourself back. Mm. And, and mindfulness. I, yeah, you I was going to ask. That sounds, there's a, there's yeah. a correlation to mindfulness, yeah, there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, I think mindfulness has been bandied about so much now. And I think it, we can kind of lose the whole meaning of it and, mm. and the purpose of it. But it is about being able to think um, and be in the moment. So learn the grounding, learn that skill that can bring you back. Mm. Because in that moment when you have been taken out of your window of tolerance, mm. when you are feeling anxious or when you are feeling sad and depressed and whatever, that means that you've been taken back. You've been triggered. Mm. It, you know, you you were back where something happened. So being able to bring yourself back and say, I am safe, yeah. I'm not there, I'm here, yeah. and being able to do that will, will and help as well. We'll quickly explain that window of tolerance. I'm going to try this. Tell me if I'm right. <laughs> you should. I right. drew it the other day. You drew it the other day. I should have paid attention. <laughs> uh, the window of tolerance, So that what we, if we imagine a window, um, if we imagine an open window, mm. the space where the window is open is the space where you are cool and calm and collected and you are living life and are, you know your mental health is even and everything's okay. Yep. Yep. Um, what the idea is, is we want that window to be open as wide as we possibly can yep. because the more closed that window is, yep. the more likely you are to react. Yes. If you're going up, you're hyper aroused, so you are fight, you are angry, aggressive, yep. anxious, restless. You want to run away. You want to run away. And if you're hypo aroused, mm. you are down, depressed, avoiding, yep. withdrawing, yep. isolating. So the idea is is through grounding, mindfulness and, and all those sorts of things, we're opening that window up as far as we can open it so that when something happens, when something goes through the window, it's not sending us up or down, or down too much. That's right. It's just going yeah. through the window. Yeah, because, um, you know, depending on how narrow your window is, mm -hmm. you can go hyper, so at the top of your window yep. or hypo at the bottom of your yep. window. Um, and and you can be doing that uh, over a period of, of moments, hours, days, weeks, yep. months. Um, and so, you know, to recognise when, yes, I am now out of my window um, and, and learning those grounding and those mindful techniques yeah. and how to bring you back. The thing, I, I, the way I see mindfulness, um, so I listened to podcasts a little while back with Yuval Noah Harari who wrote the book Sapiens and he's got some really interesting opinions and ideas on a whole range of things, but he mm. actually gets up and, and meditates and, and practices meditation for two hours mm. every day, every morning. He's awake at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and is, does two mm. hours of meditation. It's pretty impressive. And he said when he first started, somebody introduced him to meditation and basically said you need to just sit there and focus on your breathing and all the things that we do with when we talk about meditation mm. and practicing that. And he said, he goes, I couldn't even go for 10 seconds. Yeah. He go, I couldn't do it. And what he had to do was build his, his well, and one of the terms that gets bandied about is mental fitness, mm -hmm. mental muscle, emotional yes. muscle, emotional I should say. Muscle. And he had to muscle. build that over yeah. time. So for me, what mindfulness does is when that thing hits and triggers you, if, you don't, if you're at the 10-second mark and you can't control your brain, you'll just instantly react no matter what. Yeah, well, but the brain it, takes over. You've got no control yeah, over it. But if you've got that window nice and open, mm. the mindfulness practice gives you a couple of seconds Absolutely. to see the gap, stop and go, right, how am I going to react Absolutely. versus 
what's my amygdala yeah. going to do and what yeah. am I going to... Yeah, because you want to get your, your... So in essence, what's happened is your prefrontal cortex... It's disengaged. It's disengaged. It's yeah. offline. It's, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. And the amygdala has taken over and you've got no... You, you, you don't have control over that. Mm. So to be able to understand, A, what your triggers are, um, B, your grounding and your mindfulness techniques, mm. it's going to bring you back... Um, is so important and sometimes we think, oh, well, when I'm taken out of my trigger and when I'm taken out of my window of tolerance, I'll, I'll practice those things. But you need to practice it when things are going well yeah. so that when you are taken out, you've, you've, you understand it. And even if you're just doing five minutes a day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I also talk about, and I think I touched on this with you the other day when we were discussing this sort of stuff, practicing mindfulness in your every moment. So, and what I mean by that is like, and so I, I, I two examples I use a massage and food, right? Mm. The massage for me, I, massage is part of my self-care and people know that if they've listened to this, they've heard me talk about it. But if you don't pay attention to it, you don't feel mm. it. it That's you right. can just, it, it is really simple to go, you know, sit there, look at your phone for 20 minutes and then, oh shit, it's done. What, yeah. what happened? Mm. And the other one for me is like when you're eating a bag of chips, and you're just unconsciously just chucking them in your mouth. And then all of a sudden you reach in the bag and there's nothing there. And that feeling, like you go, I really wanted another chip. Or you Where go you go then and get another packet. Because? Do, because, yes. So it's that psychological preparation is that I've only got one chip left and you're psychologically preparing yourself yep. for the end. You yep. know, that's mindfulness. And it yeah. can be as simple as that. Yeah. It can be as simple as just paying attention to a piece of chocolate that you put in your mouth, yeah. you know, feeling the texture, the taste, the smell, um, yeah. you know, all of those kind of things. So, yeah. you know, mindfulness, it's, it, you know, you don't have to be meditating for an hour a day, right. but it's just about being in the moment at, you know, and staying in that moment and appreciating, yeah. you know, where, where you are, what you're seeing, what yeah. you're doing. You know, what you're smelling. Because I think the stat goes, we spend 50% of our time overthinking about the future or the past. Oh, I, I, yeah. Well, I don't know about the stat, but I know that we no, do. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that, that is apparently the number. It's probably higher, let's be honest. Um, so, okay, grounding. What do you do to ground yourself? What's something that you do that you go, okay, boom, the window is starting to close. I'm starting to get hyper or hypo. What's what's yeah? What's, what's your go-to? Um, well, I've um, I used to. Uh, uh, well, I'm a big one on the five senses, using the five mm, senses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I've just learnt a new one on breathing. Mm-hmm. So if you can just you know close your eyes, mm. put your feet on the ground, make sure mm. that's I get that's the most important thing about grounding is you've got to make sure that your feet are on the ground mm-hmm. um, because that that. It's the ground you need. Mm. You know you need that grounding, but you know just a deep breathing exercise where you breathe in on the count of four, mm-hmm. and then breathe out on the count of six. But breathe breathe in through the nose, breathe out through the mouth, mm. and that's a really that's a really really just a really simple yeah. simple one. Yeah. Um, so you know that I find that works um, well because what what you're doing is you're just you're stopping. And you've got to consciously, consciously um, focus on your breathing. Hmm. And so when we do that, then hopefully the mind won't be thinking about whatever yeah, yeah. the mind wants to think about, but yeah. that you're just focusing on the breathing and it brings you back. Yeah, the Navy SEALs use a similar method, which is the in for four, hold for four, out for four. Yes. And you do it four and times. You can use, and you can do that as well. Yeah. And um, I figure if anyone knows about if anyone knows about <laughs> stress and, and, and managing anxiety and managing arousal, yeah. it's the Navy SEALs. It's the Navy SEALs. So yeah. uh, the movies, grounding techniques, what are a couple of the other things you do to manage your mental health? Um, my grandkids are a great self-care strategy yeah, for me. Spend time with those beautiful oh, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, uh just to be near them, to be around them, to uh, give them heaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, my 13-year-old is now about 5'4", and he goes, so, Nan, what's it like down there? 
Um, Come here and I'll show you. (laughs) So they're they're a wonderful self-care. And spending time with my family, um, you know, spending time with my husband, you know, as you know, he's been diagnosed now with a terminal illness. And so, you know, just having that that time with him is really important as well. So, um, yeah, it's kind of all the, you know, I think one of the things that we can do uh, when we are unwell, is to isolate. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, I, I think it's it is extremely to... underrated in terms mm. of people understanding mental health conditions. I yeah. haven't heard from him for ages. Yep, because yeah. he's isolating. Yep, yeah. And so you know we crave connection. Mm-hmm. We hardwired for it. We're yeah. built for it. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so it's really important to stay connected. Yep. I haven't seen my my. Um, my kids or my grandkids now. I saw my son today, which was nice. I had lunch with him, mm. but I haven't seen my grandkids now for about oh, I don't know three weeks, and I'm craving now. Mm. I'm craving, mm. t- you know, to see them. Um, and so, you know, we made for connection, and I think we have to, um, you know, make the effort because it's really easy to not. Do you talk? Do, that. do you talk to the little girl? Do you? What do you tell her? Um, I don't as much anymore, yeah. but when she would surface, yeah. she does occasionally yeah. still, but when she surfaces, I I send her off to play. Right. And I put her with somebody that um, I know, I'll trust, yep. and I send her off to play, and I said, I will come back and get you tonight. I've got to go and be an adult now. And you don't go back and get her? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. I do. I go back and I pick what her a up. bad... <laughs> What a bad parent. Yeah. I'm trying to think actually what you are. The bad old version of yourself you are. Yeah. But yeah, so but she doesn't surface as much as she used to. Yeah. And I think that's that's a testimony to how far that I've come. Yeah. Yeah. before we go, because I I said to you at the start, I want aim for about forty five minutes. We're at forty one now. Oh really? <laughs> It goes like that. People don't understand. People go, I don't think I, I could do yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, oh, you know. I don't have enough interesting stuff to say. Um, the, uh, the other yeah. stuff you do, which fascinates me outside of, and, and hearing you talk about this, we've spoken about this a number of times, changed a little bit my perspective on mental health and, and managing mental health, which is the work you do with people with a hoarding and squalor, mm. um, hoarding disorders and, mm. and squalor. Mm. Um, why hoarding and squalor? Is hoarding part of what you did or it was just you happened to find that you were yeah. really good at that? Well, probably a bit of both. I mean, my whole life... Everyone, friends, family, everyone told me I was a hoarder and I would get really, really angry. Mm. But not in the sense that you see it on the TV. I mean, yeah, yeah. everything was packed away because I'm, I'm a super neat freak. But you kept everything. I kept everything. Mm. Um, and, you know, that it came out of de- my deprivation growing up because I I, yeah. I, I, I don't remember getting stuff. I remember two presents yeah. that, I, that I got my whole life. Yeah. Didn't know where my next meal was. You know, sometimes we just, you know, didn't get fed. Mm. Um, And so mine come out of deprivation. Mm. And mine was a really intense emotional attachment to everything. Mm. And so um, after doing my recovery journey, my my counselling, you know, that sense of having to hang on to everything, it was lessened. Mm. It had decreased. And so I'm I'm okay now, not with everything, but with most things I can I can say goodbye to them. Mm. But I think um back in two thousand and fifteen I was doing a project here and mm. I kind of got a passion. I had my counselling degree but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. Mm. I didn't want to hang a shingle. I knew I knew that, and I, I think I had this innate feeling that yes, I I can't. I have to do my own work first. Mm. But um, I was doing a project around hoarding and squalor, and just got a real passion, I guess, for it, and the realization that there was not enough resources. There was mm. not enough intervention for mm. this cohort of people. Mm. And so in the, about the middle of 2016, I started um, Inside Out Recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I've been uh, slowly building that 
um, ever since. And so, uh, so what Inside Out Recovery does, it specialises in providing therapeutic and decluttering coaching mm. to people in their homes. So the work mm. we do is in the home. Mm. And so I have um, myself and another person counsellor and just looking at putting another one on and I have three decluttering coaches. Mm. And so we we will go in and, and work with people that are in a hoarding or in a squalid environment. Mm. Um, it's 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 hard work. It's not pretty work. No. It's not pretty work um, and it's hard work, but we're, you know, we're making change for people, yeah. you know, and we're giving people hope. Mm. We're giving people, um, I, I guess, the the reality that, yes, they don't have to live like this mm. um, and that things can change and things can get better mm. and they can recover. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, and it's, it's yeah, it's really interesting, like... Um, Sitting in the session with you as I did a couple of years back now, because back when we could do face to face trading, um, sitting in that and hearing some of those stories. I mean, I certainly know people mm. um, who are hoarders, yeah, and most I certainly people know do. people that live in in squalor mm. situations. Um, mm. And you know, as you talked about, you know, keeping things. I mean, I often make the joke: my grandmother was a hoarder. You know, and she had the 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 nineteen eighty two or nineteen eighty one Princess Di Prince Charles wedding edition of Women's Weekly stashed away in the <laughs> cupboard somewhere. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't like that was the only copy of that magazine she had. Mm. There was piles and yeah. piles of magazines, yeah. and cleaning her house out. I mean, was a nightmare. <clears throat> but um, we know people that are like that, and I think, as you said, the thing that we see is the the TV version of these yes. these things where you know we see these horrible houses and that's certainly mm. part of it mm. but the solution isn't as simple as just all right let's take a bulldozer in and no. rip the place apart and clean no. it no it is that's the last thing you want to do deal with the trauma mm. it is deal with what's yeah what's caused this to become yeah. part of who you 95 percent of the people we work with have a trauma history they have a trauma story and so we have to go in there and work from a trauma-informed mm. um perspective because if we don't um, then we can, all we're going to do is we're going to re-traumatise again and you know family and friends think oh I've just got to go in and just got to clean it up and it'll all be okay but they've probably noticed that when they've done that they revert back. <laughs> my my nana would go and get stuff out of the bin. Yeah. Uh, we'd throw stuff in yeah. the bin and we'd she'd go get stuff. Yeah. She'd sit there I mean she'd sit there with um you know loaves of bread that had new life forms evolving Absol- in them, absolutely. you know. Absolutely. And I'm sure one of them had a heart and lung. It was mm. like I'm absolutely positive yeah. of it, but it was horrible. You chuck well, don't chuck it in the bin. Then mm. you can't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had we've had clients like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a huge thing. You know, across Australia, um, you know, when I started working uh, with people back in, you know, 2016, I think the stats were somewhere around 2%, 2.5%. They're now up around the 5 6%. That means that in Australia we have, I don't know, well over a million people wow. um, struggling in uh, living in uh, either a hoarding or a squalid environment. And they're only the ones that we know about. We know about. Mm. So I, I think you know, I, I, I'm not a mathematician. I don't know, but I think we'll be seeing it rise up to about ten percent in the next few years I, because there's yeah. no intervention. No yeah. one's doing like there are, but it's it's not something that's on the government's radar. It's not something that funding is. is I think what know. we we normally see, like there's a, the very famous the people that lived. I think they're in Bondi. Mm. And and their front yard was just an absolute, yeah. you know, yeah. tip. And they would, you know, the council would go in with, like I said, literally with bobcats and just clean it out. Yeah. And then six but months later it was back yeah. and these yeah. people, you know. But the response was, you know, it's left to local governments and it's very much taken as a from a civil perspective. You know, well, this is a, a safety risk to yeah. society, to community. Yeah. We're going to... Yeah. Yeah. Deal with it from that perspective. And I think than... it's really important to remember that hoarding doesn't just affect the person who is the hoarder. Oh. 
It affects anybody else that's living in that household. Mm. It affects family members because family members will, the relationships get broken. And so the person's isolation increases. Mm -hmm. It affects community. Mm. It affects um, people's safety, um, finances. Isn't it funny though, even as you speak about that, you could take hoarding out and go drinking. Yes. Or gambling. Yes. Or drug taking. Yes. Or you yeah. know. Yeah. Like it's it's and that's what I took from your session mm-hmm. that day. It doesn't matter what the particular you know, negative coping strategy that we're using is. It's what sits under what it. What sits underneath it. There's it's this. like that proverbial iceberg. Yeah. You know, the hoarding is the physical manifestation mm-hmm. for what's happening for the person on a deeper psychological level. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got to be able to get under that iceberg. We've got to be able to see what's under the waterline because that's where you get your clues for intervention. That's where the work then starts because, mm-hmm. you know, I, when I go in and I do an assessment or I'm working with somebody, I don't even look at the clutter. Mm-hmm. I don't look at the because I know that if we can – if we can unpack what is happening for that person on a psychological level, then we're going to make progress with the through the hoarding. The you know. So would it be right? To, would it be right to say that you almost walking through the person's brain? Mm. You're walking through their mind, and what I mean by that is is so like I. I, I talk sometimes about a, a girlfriend that I had many years ago who had ultimately was diagnosed with anxiety disorder but when her anxiety was really bad she would clean mm-hmm. and I remember one night she was at my unit that I owned and she said I'm you know I went up I had to go to work for a couple of hours and she said I'm just going to stay here I'll do some cleaning for you and I was like oh okay when I walked back in that unit was like a model home there are hospitals that aren't as clean as that unit was. <laughs> I actually thought I walked into the wrong space. Like I was like, where am I? Did you hang on to her? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, she, no, she was no, no, um, no, I didn't. But um, <laughs> but uh, but well, we would never have survived together. But for me, I, I say to people all the time, and I've seen a couple of examples of this recently. I have a, a mate of mine whose father just passed away. And I said to him, um, rang him one afternoon, it was as he was he was in the, the final days, and I said to him, you know, how are you going? He goes, oh, yeah, not too bad. I went and saw Dad, and, you know, every time I leave him, I sort of say goodbye. And yeah, I that's right. I hope I see him tomorrow, yeah. but if I don't, I love you, you know, that kind mm. of thing. And he said, I just came home. He goes, I've got a 900-square-metre block, so I just came home and made the lawns and did the edges and made it all. And in my head, what I was thinking as he said it was, is what you're doing is this is chaos. Your brain Mm. is chaos at the moment. It's all Mm. over the place. You can't Mm. control that. Mm. Similar to this girl, Mm. what you need to do is make this Mm. work. Yeah. And once this is actually clean, this actually starts to calm a little bit. Because, you know, we all we look at a cupboard that we're just going to go, oh, that feels so good. That's so nice. So for me, I'm imagining that if you're walking into a person's hoarding situation – you're seeing this, the absolute chaos of their brain in physical form. And if we can slowly just start to yep. chip away, chip away, we start to yeah. make this calm down. I liken it to an onion, you know. You peel away the layers of an onion and there's lots of layers mm-hmm. um, until you get to the core. You know, so we want to we want to really peel away those layers and get to the core of what's really going on. Yeah, um, and you know, hoarding comes out of a whole variety of reasons. Mm. You know, it's a complex in the in the um, DSM five the the um, diagnostic um, statistical manual, manual of psychiatric <laughs> disorders, the fifth version. Yep, mm-hmm. the fifth version. Um, you know, it has a standalone diagnosis now. And so it's a complex mental health disorder. But why? Where's it coming from? What's causing it? You could ask that question of most mental health conditions. Yeah, yeah. So we go in and we try to unpack it. Not unpack it just for our understanding, but unpack it for the person because they don't know. I've had so many people say to me, I don't know why I live like this. I don't like it. I don't want to, but I don't know how to make it better. Do you see parallels with your own experience? I mean, not the hoarding part of it, but even just, as you said, you spent 50 years of your life reacting a certain way, not understanding Mm. that you're actually 
it was the five-year-old version of yourself yeah. reacting that way or it was the 50-year-old version of yourself trying to protect the five-year-old yeah. version of yourself. Yeah. There seems to be there's some parallels between those yeah. two. Like, you know, it's I did a bunch health. of stuff for a whole range of years without really understanding why mm. I did it. Mm. Once I started to understand why I did yeah. it, I was then able then to start like, working on yeah. it. Yeah, and then you can make better choices. Mm. You can make a more informed choice. So at the moment, the only thing I know is this. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything else. Yeah. And so if you understand it, mm. you know, I work very much from that old adage that says if I give you a fish, I feed you for the day. Yeah. But if I if I teach you a fish, I'm yeah. going to feed you for a lifetime. So yeah. we're very focused on And if on I show skinning. you where the fish up here is, I'm going to make it so much easier. <laughs> 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 well, there's that too. But, um, you know, I I think I want to skill people up. I want yeah. them to understand what's happening for them. Yep. I want them to be able to go away and go, yes, I recognise that now and I don't have to live like this. So the, I've got a choice. So the next time they're triggered rather than acquire something, yep. they go, hang on a second. Yeah, I don't need this. Let's do these other yeah. things. Yeah. They've let's got ground. some other skills. Yep, let's ground, let's mo- yeah. mind, practice mindfulness, yeah. let's do whatever we yeah. need to do. Yeah. And um, employ a, a more positive coping strategy. Yeah, yeah. Before so, before we go, yes. what's your go-to? What's your, when you've had a rubbish day or you're just feeling absolutely <laughs> shit about yourself, uh, what's your go-to? What do you alcohol, do? no. <laughs> um. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I go home. <laughs> One, one glass is okay when you <laughs> yeah. drink the whole bottle that you've got an issue. <laughs> yes, we were talking about this the other day. Um, I go home and, I mean, the ladies that might be listening to this might recognise, but, uh, you know, relate to it. But my bra comes off. <laughs> <laughs> my PJs go on. Oh, let's put that already good. Heaven. Uh, my PJs go on um, and I uh, wash my face. And I go and have my dinner and then watch TV for a little bit and then into bed. Just It's that psychological, um, I was going to say undressing, but... No. Uh, you know... I say to people all the time, so, you know, this is how I dress for work. I've yeah. got long pants and long sleeve shirt and shoes and socks. There is no bit... I understand the bra com- comment... <laughs> Because for years and years I've I've do that whenever I do behaviours or anything that's kind of a little bit intense psychologically, I always say if you know if you say for example we do behaviours training, I go right. One of the things you need to do after a, a, an, an episode of crisis is you need to do something to mm. wind mm. down. What mm. you go to, mm. right? Yeah. And I always say to people, um, I love. There's no better feeling than taking your shoes and socks off at mm. the end of the day. I love. I hate wearing shoes. Yeah. Uh, and I get in trouble for it all the time because I wear thongs everywhere. Yeah. We went out for dinner a couple of weeks ago and I got in so much trouble because I was wearing thongs and my wife was like, I wish you weren't wearing thongs. The whole, I'm like, get over it, darling. I've been wearing thongs for the whole time we've been together. I'm going to keep wearing thongs. But that feeling, and so I used to say this over and over again and one day a woman in a group went, it's the same feeling for the bra. Mm. And I and I have to be, I try and do it discreetly. I go, you know, ladies, I understand, well, I take my socks off, I understand there's a certain thing that you guys do and invariably a woman will go, oh, take it off your bra, it's the best thing ever, letting the girls out, it's great. And so you go, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I actually get it because I take my uniform, this is a uniform, Yeah. I take yeah. my uniform yeah. off me too. and I put the real yeah. version of me on Yeah. and I, you know, yeah. I'm home. Because you, you want to be comfortable. And your home is your sanctuary and you want to be comfortable in it, you know. I think at the end of a week, psychologically, um, I will walk into the ho- into my home mm-hmm. and I will put away my work bag. Mm-hmm. I will get my pyjamas on, you, you know, wash my face, do all of that. And it's like, oh, the weekend can start now. You decompress. It can start. And so that's that's after the end of a day, that's kind of what I do is that I guess decompressing, decompressing is probably a good analogy because, yes, it's like, oh, okay. And I leave work at work. Hmm. You, you've got to leave work at work. Somebody, somebody said hmm. yesterday, mate, 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, this place doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. You went, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah. Understand. Mm. That's a good note to leave it on. Mm-hmm. Debbie, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Hello, folks. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of our podcast. Uh, before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favors? Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast. And of course, please share this podcast. Um, the reviews help us to uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about. And of course, the sharing helps us to get our message out there. We don't have any money, so we're really relying on uh, social media to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you loves mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody, uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please go and see your GP. Or, of course, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Or, of course, the Kids Helpline on 1800 551800. If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions, and please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.